On a small island in Georgia exists a private club founded by some of America's most wealthy industrialists. Several notable historical events have taken place here, but does the island and the club itself hold darker secrets? You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the story of the Jekyll Island Club. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement <laughs> somewhere in Georgia. The giggle you hear in the background. Why you got to get me with that every damn time? Is the man who just got back from Las Vegas and his pictures on the airport wall called Tacos del Gordo said, no more, boy, no more. <laughs> I'm Arlo, and that is the coach. Hello, hello. Dude, if you have ever go to Vegas and you don't hit up Tacos El Gordo, you're missing out. You're out of your mind. We were there since Tuesday. Just and got ate back. ate there seven times. We got, <laughs> we got back at 5 a.m. this morning, and I promise you we ate there four times. Yeah, I, I have know. to say I was a little envious of your people uh, say, you know, tacos. In, people say In-N-Out Burger is the best thing to go to. Man, we went there. We did. It was a delicious. Burger. It's a, it, those are good burgers, dude. But tacos El Gordo, man. So, corn tortillas. Oh, are they corn tortillas or were they flour? Oh, that that's that's a horrible horrible impression, sir. You that's just okay. Just give me my. I don't want to. Oh my god. Since let's just move on before we get in trouble because <laughs> we are doing the Jekyll Island Club. We decided to choose. Jekyll Brewing Company. Jekyll Brewing Company. Yes, we did. But don't be fooled. It is not from Jekyll Island. It's from Alpharetta, Georgia. It's from Alpharetta, which is uh, just a little bit north. (laughs) Just slightly north, but still. It was inspired by Jekyll Island. And what what we are drinking, uh, one of theirs, I I do like their brewery. I've tried several of them. Their Hop Diggity Dang uh, and various others are very good, but. Arlo chose Pony Ride Pale Ale, which I've never heard of. Which, Pretty uh, good. Let's see. Perte good, if I do say so myself. On the can itself, it says what you're tasting is uh, mango, tangerine, hints of pineapple, with a soft, fluffy mouthfeel with uh, low bitterness throughout. And it does have low bitterness. And, of course, they had to write that in cursive and being the dumbasses we are, I had a hard time reading it. Oh, man. Mm. Lovely, lovely, lovely. It is a nice beer. It does. It's not very heavy. It's not like uh, Sweetwater's bitter finish, but Don't it is you good. You be knocking that Sweetwater now. It is good. I do. I like it. I was looking for their. Uh, they have a Oktoberfest, but I couldn't find it. I don't know if they just haven't come out with it yet, or. Uh, it's, it's about that time. I know. That's what I. I, was, I had a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. I had a couple of them actually in the airport. Uh, Last night before we left Vegas, and those are always good. But, you know, what's amazing about the beer scene in this whole country is it is just amazing now. Everywhere's breweries are popping up everywhere, and the thing about it is it's almost recession-proof. You don't really hear a whole lot of breweries going out of business. I mean, it's a very rare thing, even though they are sprouting up. 
left and right. There's over 60 breweries in Georgia now, and that just blows my mind. There's three. <laughs> last time I looked, there's like 3,100, 3,200 independent craft brewers by definition throughout yeah. the United States, which is a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. But, which, which is just, it's, it's just crazy. It uh, is. I mean, even small cities, I mean, what, what, we in Georgia would call cities. They're popping up everywhere. Rome has one. I don't like any of that. Cartersville's getting one. It's about to open. I mean, um, Ackworth, Kennesaw's got four or five. I mean, I didn't getting... realize there was so many in Kennesaw. There's Burnt Hickory. There's Big Shanty. No, but that's the same one, I think. Uh-uh, they're two different. Is I thought one. I think Burnt Hickory is, produces the Big Shanty. Oh, okay. But there is Dry County in yeah. Kennesaw, and it's really good. So. If you happen to be in Georgia, please enjoy our various, various breweries. You won't be disappointed. But, since we are from Georgia, of course, we, we know all about mysteries in Georgia. So, we chose another one about our great state. And this one deals with the Jekyll Island Club. And anybody who has ever went to the coast of Georgia, Jekyll's usually the main island that they go to. It was founded in 1886 Correct. when members of an incorporated hunting and recreational club purchased the island for only $125,000. Not too bad. But if you did that today, you're looking at about $3.1 million. But that's still yeah. not bad for an island. No. And it was uh, Newton Finney and his brother-in-laws were the main people that came up with the idea for this exclusive hunting club. But they're going to have some very... Wealthy backers. Yes, and I had read that John Eugene du Bignon. Is he? He sure's not Beignet. Is he the inventor of those? Oh, nice I don't cakes think he in, was in Beignet Boys in New Orleans. But basically, he bought it, or he was the original owner of the island. That's who they purchased the island from, and then they sold basically stock. There was, I think, fifty-four memberships to the club. And he, um, they're going to, yeah, you're right. I think or was it 50 had, and then there was four. I had 53 original investors from New York City. Yeah, and they published it for basically a retreat for the wealthy Northerns, and they, mm-hmm. you know, bid it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, they're going to end up having about 100 total members. Now, the most notable members, I mean, these are not, uh, <laughs> These are mo- these are most definitely notable people in the history of our uh, great country. J.P. Morgan, Joseph Pulitzer, William Rockefeller, William Vanderbilt, George Baker, James Stillman, uh, con- uh, General Lloyd Aspinwall, Samuel Spencer, and the list goes on and on. We're talking, in today's money, probably trillions of dollars worth of wealth involved in this club. Yeah, Frank Goodyear, Josephine Goodyear, uh, Frank Goodyear Jr. Um, there are just the who's who. There was a Kennedy. Um, There's uh, always a Kennedy. There always is. <laughs> John Stuart Kennedy. Um, but basically, this was a place for them to get out of the limelight, and it's also a place that they would hold almost like the Bohemian Grove back of the day. Oh, what do you mean back in the day? That shit still goes on? No, no, no. I meant before Bohemian Grove. Oh, it's the Bohemian, it's the pre-Bohemian Grove. Yes. Are we going to do the Bohemian Grove? 
I don't know. I'm afraid, you know, they may come get us. Well, I mean, if we're doing the Jekyll Island Club, I mean... But, we're definitely not... I don't know. We're not really big into conspiracies. We're more into mysteries. So, I don't think the be- the Bohemian Grove will be part of our forte. And, they're definitely um, conspiracies relating to the Jekyll Island Club. But, we are going to be talking about the hauntings. We're not really going to touch much on the conspiracies. Right. Um... Going back to the club's original, I guess you could say, charter, they sold stocks to the club at only $600 a share, which in today's money would be $15,000. Again, to rub elbows with those kind of people, William K. Vanderbilt, Henry Hyde. I mean, J.P. Morgan, $15,000 in today's money. It's just a drop in the bucket right. for J.P. Morgan. I mean, anybody who was able to buy out U.S. Steel from um, from Carnegie, from Andrew Carnegie, you got a little bit of wealth. Just a little. Just a tad. It is an undeveloped property. And they have to transform the entire island. Lloyd Aspinwall served only five months as the club's first president before he died suddenly. Henry Howland then took up the position as president of the club. Several committees were formed to get the club running. Uh, Charles Alexander designed the clubhouse. And this man's got a $4 name. Horace William Shaler Cleveland, who was a famous landscape architect back in the day. Of course, everybody knows that name. Yeah. You shouldn't even have to explain who that is, right? Yeah. He was chosen (laughs) to design and lay out the grounds. I mean, if you're creating a new one, who's not going to pick up Mr. Cleveland? So, basically, around the middle of August of 1886, they broke ground and officially opened the doors on January 21st, 1888. And like uh, like we mentioned, there are going to be some very, very notable events in our American history that take place here, two of which, one is um, pretty... Pretty awesome that I, I think it's pretty awesome that it happened in Georgia. But uh, it was the site of the first transcontinental phone call from the president of AT and T, Theodore Vall, to Woodrow Wilson, in, uh, to and Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Watson in 1915. They also developed uh, the Aldrich Vreeland Act for the National Monetary Commission on the island in 1908. Um. Now, I could not find this any in any of my research, but this is just, you know, old wives' tales or rumor or speculation, hand-me-down stories. But supposedly, the reason that the club shut down around World War II was because all of that money was down there, and they supposedly spotted a German U-boat off the coast of Georgia. And so they just hightailed it out of Dodge, leaving everything, furniture, clothes, everything. They left the the island abandoned. Oh, wow. Um, well, when you want to get into, when we touched on the conspiracy theories about the island, this, this part is not a conspiracy. It is where uh, people met and there was legislation that they... The legislation outlining the formation of the Federal Reserve was drafted here in two, uh, 1910. So, that's a fact. That's not a conspiracy. What 
transpired during that meeting and why they decided to go off the the gold standard and the silver standard is subject to many conspiracy theories yes. but i just know that and we could spend 18 podcasts going over all of those oh yeah we won't exactly but when the federal reserve system and the fractional reserve uh system of banking man not, not almost 90 percent of our money is just imaginary anyway so when people are like, don't you care about the $30 trillion we owe China? No. It's mostly imaginary. And what's China going to do if we don't pay? We're going to shut down the whole world because we, everybody owes everybody. It's just weird. Economics is a very surprisingly complicated subject. So no conspiracy theories. What is funny, though, is that they came up with code names, false names for all these uh, high-ranking uh, bank members, Treasury Department people, and they, it was under. They all went down to Jekyll Island under the guise of just a powerful, wealthy duck hunt trip. Ooh, yeah. So now, I'm not a hunter. I went hunting. I went duck hunting one time, and uh, it was mostly. I, I don't know if you could call it hunting. You could call it. Um, me and my four friends drinking 50 beers before 10 a.m. Um, so you are an avid hunter. Is Jekyll Island known for their ducks? Is it? A yes, good? it would be a awesome place for the Atlantic Flyway ducks, okay. which would be basically your sea ducks. But now, I don't like hunting ducks, but I damn sure like eating ducks. So if you if you, next time you go and you get some, I'll, br- I'll slide some your way. Yeah. Now, uh, Forbes magazine founder Bertie Charles Forbes would write several years later, and I quote, picture a party of the nation's greatest bankers stealing out of New York on a private railroad car under the cover of darkness, stealthily riding hundreds of miles south, embarking on a mysterious launch, sneaking onto an island deserted by all but a few servants, living there a full week under such rigid secrecy that the names of not one of them was once mentioned lest the servants learn the identity and disclose to the world this strangest, most secret expedition in the history of American finance. I am not romancing. I am giving the world, for the first time, the real story of how the famous Aldrich Currency Report, the foundation of our new currency system, was written. The utmost secrecy was enjoined upon all. The public must not glean a hint of what was to be done. Senator Aldrich notified each one to go quietly into a private car, of which the railroad had received orders to draw up on an unfrequented platform. Off the party set, New York's unambiguous reporters had been foiled. <laughs> Nelson Aldrich had confided to Henry, Frank, Paul, and Piot that he was to keep them locked up at Jekyll Island, one of the rest out of the rest of the world until they had evolved and compiled a scientific currency system for the United States. The real birth of the present Federal Reserve System, the plan done on Jekyll Island in the conference with Paul, Frank, and Henry Warburg is the link that binds the Aldrich system and the present system together. He, more than any one man, has made the system possible as a working reality. With that said, we fast forward to the Great Depression. And just like everything else in American history, it 
caused a lot of changes on Jekyll. Basically, the membership became an extravagance and members were dropping like flies through the 30s. With the club's financial system or situation worsening, a new level of club membership came about and they were touting this as a more affordable membership. It was the associate membership. Mm. Yes, it was designed to fit the needs and the pocketbook of anyone. It was also an attempt to draw in a, basically some new and younger people. Also trying to draw back some of your heavy hitters because the membership would be less. But with that said, they did see a small spike in membership. And this goes to the World War II Um the club opened as usual for the 1942 season. However, by the beginning of March, it was announced there would be an early close to the season due to the club's financial situation and the strain of the war had on the labor situation. And basically, 1942 is the last official season for the Jekyll Island Club. There was hope that it would be reopened after World War II, but in 1946, the state of Georgia had decided via Melvin E. Thompson, the state's revenue commissioner, that they wanted to buy the island and open it to the public as a state park. Yeah, and it's going to be opened in the public in 1980. So they, they sat on their hands for a long Just a tad. time before that happened. But right now, to at this very present moment, it is opened... I mean, opened. Good Lord. It is owned by the Radisson Hotel Group, and it still functions as a hotel today. So after all the things we're going to tell you, you're more than welcome to go there. If you want to stay there, you can find it on Booking.com. Booking. Yeah. Bada boom. For $488 for the weekend. That's pretty reasonable. For what the, the level of service you get at that hotel, it's not. It's not bad. No, it's for, not. For, for, yeah, I mean... It would be an awesome couples getaway weekend kind of deal to yeah, surprise. Yeah, like ghosts. Well, I was just saying. <laughs> it is, Here's uh, what I find. It has 134 rooms and suites. It has three cottages built by the founding members. There's the Sansuchi, which was J.P. Morgan's cottage, the Crane Cottage, and the Cherokee Cottage. So, that's our little advertisement for the uh, Jekyll, Island, uh, Jekyll Island Club. So, if you want to see ghosts... You're interested in maybe being haunted? Go on down. Are we going to be making a trip? Not planned. If I ever find myself back on Jekyll Island, and the reason I say this is because from the time I was eight (laughs) until the time I was 12, we spent every Memorial Day weekend down there with my parents. So four years. But it felt like 40. (laughs) And then they decided after I turned 12 that we needed to go to Gatlinburg. And then we spent every summer up there. Listen, are you really from the South? If you can't, have you never been to either one of them? If you haven't spent several summers in Gatlinburg, I mean. (laughs) We went to Gatlinburg before it was cool to go to Gatlinburg. I didn't have any water parks for us children that back in. I myself have been to Gatlinburg over a dozen times, and every time I've gone, I've seen somebody from my hometown every single time. Mrs. Arlo has never been to uh, 
Jekyll or Gatlinburg. How is that possible? Because I refuse to go back. What? <laughs> now, look, if you, you you can't go to Gatlinburg without going to Pigeon Forge. That's just that's just how it goes. But I definitely prefer Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg is just a quaint, small little town that Dolly Parton ruined for forever. Huh? Being the sweet lady she is. Capitalism. <laughs> she got them mountain people working. Don't. Okay, so. What I find hilarious about the whole situation at Jekyll is that the state purchases it in 1947 through a condemnation order from the governor and only paid $675,000 for it. That's a deal. It is a deal. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, son. All right, so now we get into the uh, nitty and the gritty. Which we is will always my favorite part. Post a Wikipedia link that will show you every property I mean, on I mean, really? the island. Really? Yes, Wikipedia. Well, I mean, it, they actually do a good job of p- pictures of each cottage. You know when it was built. Now I'm gonna give Wikipedia a little bit more credit. They're they're getting a lot better with their uh, reviews and editing and all that, but. It's still not the greatest. Oh, place. no, it's not. But I find this page actually to be pretty interesting because they, not only do they show you the standing buildings when they were built, renovated, that kind of stuff, they also give you a list of demolished properties True. that once stood, and they have the old black and white pictures to show. Um, but we're not here to give you the historical background. This is mysterious bruise, not boring brews. So the reason we chose this... I I think some people would argue that. That is true. (laughs) I will start off with not one of the more well-known ghost stories. This is from a young man who remains nameless because he did not want to bring shame to his family. But he states that he had lived in Georgia his entire life and when he was growing up, he would go to conferences with his mother. And she would attend these conferences for her job. He was around nine, and it was around 2003. And this time, his mother and father and him would go to a conference on Jekyll Island. He states that he was extremely independent and resourceful as a child. So his parents let him do basically what he needed to do or wanted to do as long as there was other kids in attendance. And they didn't really you know, think anything about him going off and playing with different kids his age. They would also, gasp, gasp, leave him in the hotel room for a couple of hours or run around with his friends for a couple of hours at the resort. He arrived at the, or I'm not he, but when they arrived at the hotel, he states that their room immediately creaked all of them out. Upon opening the door, there was a staircase leading up to our suite. It was very spacious with a dining room, a king-size bed, and wall partially separating the bedroom from a living room area with a pull-out couch. We were just chilling, exhausted from our drive, when we heard the sound of a door creaking open. We looked to our right, and the door to what we assumed was a closet was open. But it wasn't a closet. It was a brick wall. What? Yeah. So, uh, 
That's freaky incident number one. So he said that uh, after the door incident, they decided they were going to go back to the car and get a Diet Coke from a whole 12-pack of Diet Cokes. Why don't just bring them in? Yeah. That's the the mystery there. Funny thing (laughs) is, they brought them back to the room, and each one of them opened one, and they were completely flat. They opened every Coke in the 12-pack, and they were all flat. Am I supposed to believe this is some sort of haunting? I don't know. That's I, why. I'm pretty sure they just bought a bad batch. Well, he said <laughs> that there was yet another 12-pack in the car that they did not bring up. Don't you tell me. Yeah. They go down and get it and bring it up, and it's perfectly fine. So I'm supposed to believe that some sort of ghost has a vendetta against a certain 12-pack of Coke. It it pulled all of this energy from the carbonation is what you're supposed to assume. <laughs> it needed the CO2 to survive. His mom would, at the time, have a BlackBerry device. And he would play little games on it. And then he would bounce a ball off the, the little bar that's in the room. Now, is this somebody you know or just something you read? This is a story from an undisclosed man. From but where did you receive this information? On the interwebs. Oh my God! Well, if it's on the internet, you know it's true. Exactly. Now the BlackBerry thing. He basically goes on to say that he had just charged it, turned around and played like two or three minutes on it, and the battery went dead, which is a telltale sign of um of a, a BlackBerry being shitty. Yeah, that's why they're <laughs> they're no longer out there. Yeah. So I guess. Was there, he's saying that the ghost drained the battery. Well, of course he did. So the boy states that, or the man now, but he was a boy when this all went down, basically says that he had been outside all day. He sunburned. He'd been boogie boarding. So they bring him back to the room. They give him his markers in a coloring book. <laughs> and he hears the toilet flush, which is on the other side of the wall, separating the the living room to the king size bedroom. And so he's like, oh, that's weird. So he goes and lays on his parents' bed and decides to watch the toilet to see what the hell's going on because there was no one else in the room or the suite at the time. So he's sitting there watching, watching, watching. About 15 minutes later, he says that he watches the toilet handle slowly go down. And the toilet flushes again. So now we have pooping. Ghosts. Yeah, baby. Pooping ghosts? Yeah. But he says that he, looking back on this, would say that these were friendly ghosts that were just having some fun with his little self. He's freaked out. As he should be. Yeah, because if you see a toilet flush by itself and you're nine, I don't care who you are, it's going to freak you out. So he convinces himself that that was just a one-off. So he goes back and lays on the bed and just happens to glance up 30 minutes later and it does it again. Mm. So he says that he covers his face with a pillow until his parents get back to the room. Let me explain something to you. <laughs> no, it's not happening. 
As soon as it flushed the second time, I'm running out of the door screaming I'm for my gone. mother. I mean, I'm gone. There's yeah. no way. I'm, I don't care I'm if it's gone. a friendly ghost or not. I'm gone. Yeah. Now, Casper, the friendly ghost, I would never know because I would be out. Period. So he says that his parents, you know, calm him down. Everything's cool. Next night, they put him to bed in his little pull-out bed. He's playing possum, pretending to be asleep, listening to them talk. And he's thinking about the toilet, and he starts freaking him out again. I don't know, something about thinking about the toilet. <laughs> he says that he hears footsteps <laughs> above him, like basically coming from would be a room above him. But the strange thing is, they're on the top floor. Hmm. Yeah. So his parents, who think he's asleep, have this uncanny conversation or unfiltered conversation. Basically, they start whispering holy shit back and forth to each other. And then there's a knock at the door. His dad yells like a girl at the knock, and his mom is laughing at his dad's reaction. So they go down to the, and answer the door, and they still think that he's asleep. And it was a it was a hotel security officer, and says we've received several complaints about kids playing up here. Can you please tell your kids to keep it down as our guests are trying to sleep? So his parents get pissed and say, well, first of all, we only have one kid, and he's asleep right now upstairs. We will take you up there and let you see him. That's strange. Yeah. So the security guard goes, oh, okay, I'm going to be honest. I can't say this is the first time this has ever happened, but thank you. Hope you enjoy your stay. Hmm. This is at the point where I would leave for the second time. And I keep thinking about Eddie Murphy when he talks about poltergeist. <laughs> this is a nice house. Get out. We're out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. I just... So, fast forward to the next day. His mom's in some kind of workshop conference kind of thing. He wanted to go to the pool, hang out with some of the friends that he made. So, the same group of kids show up at these conferences. All the parents are, you know, know each other, that kind of deal. So while he was at the pool, his dad decided to play a round of golf. And I will say, Jekyll has a very nice golf course. At one point, he tried to go back to the room real quick to get something. So he gets his room key out, puts the key in there, can't get the door open. So he goes, being the little independent nine-year-old that he is, to the front desk. An employee walks him back to the room, tries his key, and it's deadbolted. Well, the key only opens the bottom door. The deadbolt can only be thrown from the inside. So someone was in there. Yeah. So they wound up having to take the door off the hinges so that the family could get back into the suite to get their stuff. So, yeah, we're, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on in this little story here, but nothing real scary. So there's two days left in his little trip. He says that he falls asleep one night, no issue, Woke up, he felt like someone was trying to pull the bed and fold it back up. He thought it was his mom or dad, so he rolls over. There's nobody there. So he closes his eyes real tight, and then all of a sudden he hears a loud bang. And there was a tall, eight-foot figure at the foot of his bed in a black hood. Who he could not see its face. To the no, he started to the screaming no, no. and hid under the covers. Oh, yeah. 
his parents run over. He's crying. And then all of a sudden, all three of them hear a laugh from an adult followed by loud footsteps overhead. It was at this point, at three in the morning, his mom, his dad, and him packed their stuff up and left with two days remaining in the conference. Yeah. So, yeah, it was all fun and games until there's an eight-foot dark figure and I can't see your face at the end of my bed. I don't care if I'm nine or 90. I'm shitting my pants. <laughs> well, if I'm 90, I'm probably going to have a heart attack and die. Now, we go to another lovely, lovely ghost story. So, the next haunting that I have is of the Hollyborn house. And I'm going to bore you with a little bit of uh, history on this one. I know, it's bad, but it's it's short history. Basically, <laughs> Charles Stuart Maurice was a very respected and successful bridge engineer from Athens, Pennsylvania. And he would bring his family to Jekyll to celebrate Christmas, and um, the family loved coming to Jekyll. So in 1892, he constructed a very palatial cottage and he named it the Hollyborn. The Maurice family would spend numerous hours at Hollyborn. Um, and it's basically four lots north of the Millionaire's Clubhouse. And it is looking over the river, the Savannah River. Mr. Maurice and his wife Charlotte had nine children. You ready for these names? Let's hear them. Archibald Stewart. Nice. George Holbrook. Okay. Marion Bridge Mammy Maurice. <laughs> Charles Frazier. Cornelia Nina Maurice. Charlotte Marshall. Margaret Stewart also known as Peg, Albert Tusselin Maurice, and Emily Marshall. I don't know if you could get any more random with your children's names. But anyway, once the state had bought the island, they were looking at turning the cottage into a museum. But they had to restore it. Well, the sisters find out, and they think that they're going to restore Hollyborn, and they're going to make this into a museum. Well, they're not. They're going to let Hollyborn just basically crumble. So the sisters are extremely upset with the state because it had been one of the better constructed cottages because the father was an architect, so he knew how to design buildings. And he was a successful bridge architect. Margaret, or Peg Maurice, petitioned the state for a living lease to live in Hollyborn. She was still single then and in her 60s when she petitioned the state and really wanted to live out the rest of her days on the island. And just like the government usually does, they crush the dreams and the spirits of the children and the elderly. And they told her, no, it's not happening. 
And according to legend, since that day, she has put a semi-curse on the Hollyborn Cottage. And even though there have been efforts to restore it, there are a lot of people that state that there are some nefarious going-ons. Well, of course there are. So basically, after walking through the house, it's very dilapidated. There was an odd, you know, kind of powdery sand all over the floor. So the people walk through the house. They don't walk through most of the rooms. Well, they come back out the main house or the main hallway of the house, and they just happen to glance over to the parlor, and guess what they see in the light dusting of sand in the parlor? Footprints. Uh-oh. Yeah. And the funny thing is, they said that they were about the size of a nine and a half. And guess who had a roughly nine... F- I have an idea. Yeah. I've got a seeking suspicion. It's Peg. Uh-oh. She had roughly a size nine shoe. A Another island employee had recently stated to the Jekyll Island Authority that... Um, they needed to have a meeting inside of Hollyborn so that they could show how well it was built and how much it needed to be restored. So as the employees are setting up the um, refreshments, they're going in and out, in and out. And on the last trip, all of a sudden, all of the bowls, all of the objects on the tables mysteriously hit the floor the shutters start banging against the walls and the window frames and birds start flying against the outside of the windows. You can probably say, you can probably, you know, throw off the the bowls hitting the floor. You know, it's an old house, floor's not level, we didn't set the table up right, something like that. (laughs) You could even say the shutters banged on the outside of the house, gust of wind. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you something. When birds start flying into the outside of your window, as the third strike of this conundrum that we've just witnessed, I don't give two shits. I'm out. And, and again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to rent <laughs> a room at this beautiful island uh, estate, it is available to you. So I don't think I'm going to be going there. All of this is anecdotal evidence. You know, it's secondhand stories. Of course. Which is most ghost stories. I well, mean, of course. There's not really any hard evidence so someone and i could not find out who the someone was invited a psychic to the island and this was in july of 2000 and the psychic had stated that there was definitely a presence on the island and this little story states that getty had set up a little scientific station on the north end of the house where a small picket fence was at and it had an anim anemometer, barometer, and other scientific equipment. And they were going to use it to record environmental conditions typical of old housing and semi-tropical conditions. You know, just basic boring shit. Um, So it states that as one of the workers rounds the corner, they see what is supposed to be the dining hall tent. The tables are upside down in the tent. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So amazingly enough, that doesn't scare them off. No, hey, we just got some tables upside yeah. down in the tent. They're braver than I am. Yeah. Fast forwarding many, many months, they have now opened up Hollyborn and allowed tours to be taken through the house. All previous tours of Hollyborn had to be approved by the Jekyll Island Authority. And they would shut you down because they said there was an infestation of sand fleas and they could not allow you to go in there because you might get a little bitted. So the Jekyll Island Authority takes a group of interns and we all know what intern means. You're basically a slave. Oh, yeah. You're not getting paid and they're going to work you like a dog from sunup to sundown. So the author of said article paid one of these interns five dollars you know you're hard up when you're going to tell ghost stories for five bucks but basically he pays one of the interns five dollars and the intern says look there's not any official tours but i can get you into hollyborn if you can be at the house on wednesday morning at 10 30 a.m the guy's like sure man i'll be there so he makes reservations at a hotel Charges his digital camera, loads it with memory card, and he gets to the house. And he sees that the foundation's exposed, being studied, and then they're backfilling it. So he starts talking to several of the workers. He asks them, have you seen anything unusual? Have you experienced any spiritual interference with your work? The first two people he asked basically say, no, ain't nothing strange going on. But they had heard stories. And so he says, what about Peg? Have you ever heard about Peg? And he states that one of the interns stops immediately and turns over and looks at her or at him and says, oh, you mean Margaret and she never said another word he couldn't get any more information out of her so is this just someone having a good time with a guy or is this someone that had some insight so the author of this article states that this was only you know the eyebrow peaking instance of his little behind the scenes tour which he felt like you know he was only out five dollars so it didn't hurt him that bad so he decides to go for an official tour and they get on this tour and they start going through some of the houses and they come to a servant's quarters and then they pass a gun room well as they're passing the gun room this is the middle of august so it's hot sticky out on jekyll island he says as they pass the gun room, it gets extremely cold. He doesn't say anything. He just kind of makes a mental note of it. All right, so another story is around the same Hollyborn house. And this time it comes from a former Georgia State Patrol officer who had been on duty in the old village at Jekyll in the 50s. And he would have to patrol and make sure that there wasn't any vandals or thieves going through. So he has his windows down, 
and he hears music. But it's not your typical 50s music. This is a string quartet type of music. This is the 20s and 30s music. So he leans his head out the window of his patrol car and tries to determine where the music's coming from. And he can't. But he says that he hears the music, but also hears what would be described as a mixture of voices and laughter and something that you would hear at more of a formal yeah, outdoor so, so, party. So basically, yeah, he's, he's hearing a party. Right. And then he said that you could hear the ding of silverware and glassware. And so he says that he thinks that the music is coming from the old tabby house near the north end of the compound of Hollyborn. So he pulls his car into the driveway, opens his door, steps out. As soon as he steps out, boom, music stops. All he can hear is the wind through the Spanish moss. Freaky, a dicky. No doubt. So, we've definitely established this place is fucking haunted. Yeah, so, so if you're into this shit, go to the Hollyborn. <laughs> Where is the Hollyborn on the on the campus? Because, uh... When I, I mentioned three cottages, but for some reason I didn't I didn't I didn't find anything on that, which is strange to me. I have the old Hollyborn cottage on three seventy nine Riverview Drive. And it is a very back in the day it was a very beautiful house. I'm sure. Um it but it has it has now grown up. It also there was a there's an old black and white photo of the Hollyborn that we'll post, but there's also a um color photo of the house and they have actually restored it and it is if this is what it looked like back in the day it is magnificent yeah it's beautiful it's very beautiful so again you know i'm like we both said we're not real big fans of wikipedia but i think from this standpoint they do an excellent job of giving you pictures of all of the buildings and they actually give you the longitude and latitude of the actual house now, I mean, I do not Wikipedia for being like a, a formal source, but Wikipedia will steer you in the right direction of pretty much anything you need to know. I mean, it does have a... It's a good starting point, it's yeah. It's a great starting point, but if you're doing a paper or any type of academic thing, it might not be the best. No, but it probably wouldn't be the best idea. If you just want some general general information about something and give you a good starting point, Wikipedia is a great place to start, for sure. Now, we get to... One of the more weirder ghost stories. Oh, did they get weirder than that? Well, that one was kind of just hit or miss. That was more Swiss cheese. All right, so we get to the story of Lloyd Aspinwall. Ooh. Do you have anything? Yeah, he's one of the the, uh, most well-known ghosts there. Maybe not the most well-known, but he is definitely one of the notable hauntings of 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 the place. He was real liked, well liked, um, very respected by everyone from the Vanderbilts, the Morgans, Pulitzer, to down to the common employee. Everyone said that Lloyd Aspinall was a salt of the earth man. Yeah, he was a, a lawyer, soldier, and, and uh, he was a soldier of the Civil War, and he also was a founding member. So, yes, and and he was eagerly awaiting the grand opening, but suddenly. He died. Yeah, he was the first uh, first president of the club, but uh, died of epoxy, which is where your internal organs just up and start bleeding out, which is horrifying to think about. Um, 
this is where they well they state that his ghost can be seen pacing um, along the riverfront veranda mm-hmm. with his hands clasped behind his back, basically enjoying the view. Yeah, that and also that uh, in the halls themselves, guests have reported hearing very heavy, quote, booted footsteps pacing back and forth through the halls that are thought to be him. They said that along the riverfront veranda of the actual hotel that they've actually gone back, I think in 85 when they renovated the hotel and they glassed that area in. And um, when it was before that, in Aspenwall's time, he would take those walks along that area and then he would also sneak a nap in a corner. And so they, they say, you know, be careful when you walk in through the Aspenwall room, which is what they renamed that riverfront veranda. You might be sitting in a chair very close to where the ghost of Aspenwald takes a nap. Oh, no, thank you. I don't think I'll be going to this place. I've already decided. (laughs) Now we get to Samuel Spencer. Mr. Spencer. Now, he is said to be the most well-known ghost. He is also one of the few Southerners invited to join the club. And he was Southern Railroad's president. I think is how he got to become a member. What's strange, I don't, of course, you know, we don't understand hauntings that well because we are not very smart people, but he didn't die on the property. He didn't die. He was just a member of the club, but he is said to be the most well-known of all the ghosts. But he actually dies when a train, when a Southern Railroad train he was riding on collided with another Southern Railroad train. Yeah, and he actually had a like a second floor apartment on the annex of the main clubhouse. Correct. He would every morning he would enjoy reading the Wall Street Journal that would be delivered to him. And he was also known as a coffee holic. Yes, he would lounge around reading the paper and drinking his coffee. So that that's why that, that that's what the uh, the guests make the connection to him. Because they report that when they stay in the annex, that uh, the coffee cups are going to be moved without any provocation. And even if you walk away long enough from your cup of coffee, you will return and it will actually be empty. Guests also report that the Wall Street Journal will be refolded and placed in a different location than previously left. Yeah, they also say that sometimes if they are reading the morning's paper, drinking coffee just out of habit, and they get up to go tend to something else or use the bathroom that when they come back. Yeah, the coffee's gone. Either the coffee's gone or it's noticeably lower. Yeah. Um, and this is, if anyone would like to book this room, this is apartment eight. Now, but, but again, I don't believe I'll be staying in apartment eight. Now, I, I like my coffee when I drink it, not someone else drinks it. I don't it. drink coffee. I drink Kickstarts from Mountain Dew, which I'm pretty sure not not. Do you do that, that dance like they did in the Super Bowl commercial? <laughs> no. The Purple Monkey Baby? Yeah. No, I, don't, I do not. <laughs> I actually do not. <laughs> All right. The next apparition that I have is called the Bellhop Apparition. The Bellman, yes. And he's a pervert, this guy. He uh, basically... People have reported a 19, uh, 1920s era looking bellhop 
that is uh, known to check in on groups preparing for their wedding. He will often bring them a freshly uh, pressed suit. And then guests will, you know, have been reported to call back, call down to the front desk and thank them. Say, hey, I didn't know that was coming. That's really nice of you guys to provide a suit. And the front desk is like, we have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. The one story I had was that uh, they, that present day employees state that this ghost story is true because... um, this ghost will knock on the doors of wedding parties. Yeah, that's why he's that. That's why I call him a pervert because he's actually also known to knock on the doors of newlyweds on their honeymoon in order to interrupt the coitus. You mean newlyweds coitus? I'm telling you, right then and there, buddy, they're getting on it. They getting on it, and then all of a sudden, some some old perverted ghost will knock on the door and interrupt you. That's just rude. Rude. Just very rude of you. Uh, guests have also been known to report that their dry cleaning is brought their, brought to their room by a, quote, old-timey bellhop. And uh, when, in fact, that uh, the policy of the, the hotel is to simply hang the dry cleaning outside the room. So, the ghost continues to do his job. He will bring the, bring the dry, cleaning, dry cleaning into you. Accept your generous tip and leave, even though he is a ghost. So another um, reported haunting co- haunted cottage would be the Sansuchi, and that is uh, J.P. Morgan's personal cottage. He was way too bougie and rich to uh, stay with the commoners, so he built his own cottage, and he's actually reported to haunt it as well. Um, people that stay in that cottage report smelling whiffs of cigar smoke on the veranda. Early in the AM, which J.P. Morgan was definitely, definitely known to enjoy a cigar most times of the day. But early in the AM, that lets me know that his ghost is definitely enjoying a cigar with the with his morning coffee or perhaps his morning constitution. Because who could not enjoy a good poop cigar? You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Who couldn't? But Now, I have that... Not only can you smell his poop cigar, (laughs) people have reported an encounter with a little girl wearing an old-time dress and a smaller figure that could be a little boy, but this figure is indistinct because it is seen at such a great distance. Uh, People take photos which appear to be not of... Sansuchi, but mysteriously of the Hollyborn Cottage. Mm. Yes, it's a little strange there if you're taking the pictures of one and get developed for another. Right, there, there, there's actually two more uh, very notable ghosts that um, are reported to haunt the Jekyll Island Club. One is Edwin Gould Jr. His father, Edwin Gould, was a founding member of the club and also a railroad magnate for the St. Louis Southwestern Railroad, where he served as vice president and later on as president. His son, aptly named Edwin Gould Jr., was out hunting with a friend and found a raccoon in his trap. And though he didn't want to ruin the pelt with his buckshot, he decided that it was a good idea to kill the poor raccoon with the butt of his gun. And as he did, the gun went off, and Karma shot him directly in the face. Oh, shit. 
Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. His abdomen, not his face. I'm his sorry. abdomen. Let me go. It's back. still funny. I know. I, I'm. I'm. I'm sorry, but it was his abdomen actually. Uh, his friend rode him back to uh, road. They were in a rowboat, so he rode him back to Jekyll Island, and that's where he died. Because of this, the family abandoned their cottage on the property, which was called the Chicada Cottage. And today, all that remains is the entrance steps, guarded by two steely-eyed, sad lions. Edwin Gould Jr.'s grandmother stayed at the Cherokee Cottage, where he would pick Cherokee roses and bring them to her. It is stated that around dusk at the Jekyll Island Club, you can smell flowers around the Cherokee Cottage. And dusk happens to be the exact time, around about time, where he actually passed away. So that is one of the most famous, one of the most prominent ghosts there. Also, there's William J. Hart. He was the superintendent assistant tasked with protecting the island's wildlife for the hunters of the club. One morning, while patrolling the beach, he came across two poachers stealing turtle eggs, which was considered a delicacy at the time. He confronted them, and a scuffle broke out. One of the poachers shot him dead. His spirit is said to patrol the beach every morning, and footprints can be seen in the sand, but they are always washed away by the waves. <laughs> do you want me to just do that whole thing again? No, just keep going because I'm going to say that was him fucking with us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll leave it in there then. The ghost. That's fucking hilarious. That was fucking hilarious. But not just that, not just with notable ghosts, we have several hundred different stories of various things happening at the place. There's going to be lights turning off and on in the middle of the night. People get out of bed, turn the lights off, but by the time they get back in bed, they turn on again. Guests often hear a woman's laughter. They often hear party sounds in the courtyard. They hear footsteps across the veranda, figures in the hall. They see figures in the hall that simply disappear. The staff themselves report having conversations with guests that quote-unquote disappear before their eyes. In the cafe, people get hair pulled and touched on the shoulder. In the grand dining room where parties and balls were held. They held balls in there? <laughs> Just like the ACDC song. They've got big balls. Such big balls. <laughs> It's my belief that my big balls should be held every night. <laughs> so where parties and great giant big balls were held, the rooms above the the dining hall are are used to calling to the front desk complaining of noises in the wee hours of the night with laughter, piano uh, pianos playing, clanging dishes, the smell of cigar smoke. Uh, but when checked... The grand dining room would be simply empty. Ruh, ruh, raggy. Yeah, also housekeeping reports doors that won't open. No matter what key they try, then suddenly they will open on their own. Doors slamming. Voices heard in the halls calling their name, but no one there. So this place is haunted. No podcast would be complete without some commentary from Mini-Me, and since it's on the internet, it has to be true. 
Mini Me has found that Bigfoot actually vacations. I can't not say this without laughing. Bigfoot actually vacations on Jekyll Island. And so when we get into the crazy um, ghost stories, I have to agree with uh, Mini Me here when pulling this up. He found an article, and it's a little snippet that says, In the July of 1963, a young man of 17 years saw something he'd never forget. He was vacationing with his parents and brother, who was 10 at the time, on Jekyll Island. They were tooling around the island in the family car, just fooling around as teenagers would, because he had just gotten his driver's license. And he had used the excuse to explore the island so that his parents would let him use the car. It was the 4th of July, and they were supposed to rendezvous with their parents to watch fireworks on the north end of Jekyll's beach they ventured off the loop road onto one of the dirt roads maybe behind the horton house in 1963 jekyll island had hardly seen the developers bulldozer bulldozers and was pretty much deserted so they come around a turn and the boys see a strange creature stepping from the woods and it starts to cross the road when the car lights illuminated, the animal stops and looks towards them. Both boys would state that the thing was around five to six foot tall, covered in long gray hair over its entire body. body. Its arms were much longer than a man's. It crossed the road, walking easily, glanced at them once, and then disappeared into the woods. He says that his parents didn't believe their tale. His brother states that he was scared shitless all night long. Now, sightings of weird hairy humanoids aren't the norm on the coast, but who says that Sasquatch doesn't enjoy a good island vacation? I know I do. Yeah. Not that damn island, though. New, <laughs> new, new, new. In closing, we would like to say that uh, there, if you are apt to tempting fate, I guess is how we should uh, put it, there are ghost hunt weekends on Jekyll Island. Well, if you like to tempt fate and uh, you don't have a problem with uh, running that debit card... <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. You are looking at a two-night package with renowned paranormal author and researcher, Chad Morin. And this package includes a two-night traditional or clubhouse accommodation, one king, one queen, or two double room accommodation, a welcome reception dinner on Friday, Cash bar, of course, because ain't nobody paying for your drinks, coach. <laughs> nah, you don't want that bill. <laughs> you will be seeing, shown a documentary of Jekyll's hauntings. This is a private screening. You will have a breakfast buffet in the grand dining room every morning. I love how they say every morning. You're only there one. You are allowed to take the ghost hunting fundamentals class. Uh, the Jekyll Island History and Haunts presentations. And then 
you and world-renowned ghost hunter Chad Morin take on the ghost hunt of Jekyll Island. What's that going to cost me? Two, three hundred bucks? Hold on, I'm not done with all the nitty-gritty. I'm oh, trying to I'm sell sorry. you on this. I'm so sorry. You arrive on Friday between 6.30 and 8.30. You have a reception dinner and cash bar. You meet, mix, and mingle with Chad and his little crew. You screen his documentary about the island and its hauntings. And then that night, you are taking a haunted trolley tour of the island. The next morning, around 10 a.m., you are told about the mysterious happenings on the island. At 11, you take the class, Ghost Hunting, Principles and Techniques. (laughs) You are on your own for lunch. And you have the afternoon to enjoy the island at your leisure and dine wherever you would like. Oh, that that's so nice of them. They are very nice. That is nice of them. At 8, you get to view Chad's new 2018 documentary of Haunted Jekyll. And then at 9, you actually go on the ghost hunt. Now, you ask yourself, Coach, what is this going to set me back? Well, if you have a friend, two, three hundred bucks. No, coach. I mean, come for on. a one-time deal. If you have a friend, double occupancy. If Mrs. Coach, she coach would like to go with you. She's she's don't want to. Yeah, go. She I'm ain't not going. This. No. She ain't going. <laughs> if you find a friend to go with you, for the one-time price of only seven hundred sixty-nine dollars, you can book yourself a room. Say that one more time. Seven hundred sixty-nine dollars. Or is my first ghost story, you could book yourself a room with a king-size bed and a pull-out bed. That'd be called triple occupancy, a one-time price. And I, I really think this is a steal. I mean, for $1,009, you can go with two of your closest friends. No, not doing it. That's going to be a hard, that's a hard pass for me. Yeah, here's my thing with a thousand nine dollars. Could you not come off the hip ten bucks? I mean, sounds <laughs> Just, a lot better nine ninety nine. Yeah, nine hundred ninety nine. I I agree, but no, that's not for me. All right. In closing, I'm not staying at the Jekyll Island Club. First of all, God no. But recommendations. I myself would recommend if you are interested. In the history of Jekyll Island, if you are a wee bit interested in any of the ghost happenings, book yourself a weekend at the Jekyll Island Resort and Hotel and just see what happens. Yeah, give us a give us a, a shout out on Instagram or uh, our Twitter account. Let us know how your experience went, if you experienced anything paranormal, out of the ordinary, anything like that. Just go ahead and do it. Let us know. I would also like to inform our great listeners and subscribers that we now have an email address. And Coach, I know this is the first time you're hearing this. I did not know that. But since you were at the World El Gordo Taco Eating Championship, (laughs) placing third. I did place third. I did not want (laughs) you to be distracted by my nefarious goings on back in the great state of Georgia. 
you can contact us now at mysteriousbrews at gmail.com. And we are going to use said mysteriousbrews at gmail.com to upload our previous podcast to YouTube. Oh, nice. Yeah. We do appreciate everyone who has subscribed, who has clicked, listened, given us a five-star review. Uh, next week, we have a, a small announcement about how you can contribute to the... Let's just call it the beer fund because that's all we were asking for. Yeah, really, at Be this able point. To pay for all, if we can get some free beer out of the deal, yeah, that's all I'm we good. were asking for. Yeah, that's for. all we need. That's all we need. And to be honest with you, if y'all could just contribute anywhere from 12 to $15, that'll buy us a six-pack. That's all we're asking. <laughs> that is it. That's all we need. If we could somehow make a living off this at $15 a week, we would be satisfied. Yeah, or if I could just pay my cable bill. <laughs> but with that said, we get into our lovely recommendations. And I will say that I have to recommend a book this time. Okay, good. I was about to say, don't you dare go give in, you a Reddit Go or, into my forte. No, no, no. I'm trying to steer clear of your forte. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend a book on the Diotlov Pass. Oh, okay. I feel like that we would not do that case justice by doing a podcast on Diotlov because... I mean, we may still end up doing it at some point, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I mean it's, it's, been, it's hard to do. It's been done. A hundred times. times. I don't know over. if we could find anything that you haven't yeah, heard of. I mean, yeah, that's true. It'd be hard to find something new. Especially as little effort we put into this. Yeah, it's very, very, very small. Um, but the book that I would like to recommend is called Dead Mountain, The Untold True Story of the Dyatlov Pass Incident. It is historical nonfiction by Donnie Eckar. And I'm pretty sure that I brutalized his last name, but it I is spelled E-I-C-H-A-R. And for those of you that are lazy bastards like myself... You can go to YouTube and uh, search Dead Mountain, the untold true story of the Dyatlov Pass incident. And there's an audio book with a nice gentleman reading the entire thing. And it is extremely insightful into the actual lives of each person on that. I found it to be very informative. Now, I will be brutally honest with you. I basically listened to it at night and it put me to sleep pretty quick <laughs> but with that said it goes beyond what you have read about Diotlov it goes into the lives previous to that hiking expedition of each member and I found it very informative and some of the insights into communist Russia at the time of how they handled these uh funerals how they handled the burials the memorials oh yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of politics stuff. in that oh shit. absolutely but it really is a very good book if you i mean if you do like reading a lot of non-fiction stuff i recommend this book look to your favorite audiobook app and look for dead mountain uh by donnie icar e-i-c-h-a-r and that is my recommendation of the week Mine, I'm going to go off on a limb and recommend something from the YouTube. That's a shocker. <laughs> I, I, everyone knows that I love YouTube. So 
my recommendation is going to be a web channel by the man named Matthew Santoro. S-A-N-T-O-R-O. And he's a little bit goofy for my taste, but he is a countdown-based man. Um, and it's all about the creepy and the weird. So even though that he himself is a little goofier than I would want at times, it's a, it's a very, very good channel. And he is a very well-known YouTuber. Uh, most people, I'm sure that if you're listening to this, have probably already known him already. But give him a like if you don't. I mean, he's got certain... Like his last list he put out is 10 Reasons to be Scared of the Dark. The one before that, four days ago, was 10 Creepy Encounters with People people that had with Shadow People. Yeah, that those Shadow People freaked me the fuck out. Creepiest, creepiest, 10 Creepiest Young Ghosts That Will Haunt You. 10 Mystifying Cryptids That Hide in the Shadows. 10 Ways to Tell if People Are Possessed. I mean, this is right up my alley. You it's not love only, a countdown. It's not only creepy, it's countdown. So I am all about it. And if anyone out there is... I swear to we're God, being we're being haunted. We're being haunted, man. This is, this is this ridiculous. This is crazy. Jesus what is all Christ. that? I don't know. <laughs> That's why we will not do <laughs> Bohemian Grove. No doubt. That but is a sign. This the, uh, Mr. Santoro does it right, of course, but I have, there's a few... Uh, countdown channels that I subscribe to that do it all wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of them. If I'm just you're like... going, if you're if you're out there and you're thinking about having any type of countdown, everyone knows you start at the top number and work your way down to one. Yeah. If Why you, would you go one to five? There, I'm not. I'm done after one. Yeah, there's a channel that I do subscribe to that I will never recommend. I do like the channel, but. It goes from one to five. Why? That doesn't make sense. It is it, it's ridiculous. It's you're supposed to convince me that five is the is the best one. No. Did they not? One is the best one. That's did why they you not count watch the Letterman show. Down. That's yeah. It's count. It's it's called a countdown. Yeah. It ain't a count up. No. <laughs> so please look at uh, Mr. Santoro's page. He is wonderful. I would also like to recommend, if you do go to Las Vegas, for any reason, not just the IBJJF uh, World Master Jiu-Jitsu Championships, visit Tacos El Gordo. You will not be disappointed. I would just like to thank our listeners. We are just two dumbass teachers. I mean, seriously. They decided to sit in a basement. And talk about shit that we text each other over. Yeah. On eight fifteen nineteen, this is our highest to date. And let me just say, we've been at this six weeks. That's not bad. Six weeks is pretty good. I had fun. I've had, I'm having a blast. I am too. I'm having a blast. We had a hundred and thirty four subscribers on that day. Wow. And the the analytics website that we use does not give you a total subscriber list it only gives you subscribers per day mm-hmm. i'm sure that i could go back and add that up being the math teacher that i am so we got 134 subscribers on one, one day, day. one day amazing that's amazing um we've had over a thousand listens that's amazing in six episodes um we've had 260 Seven day listeners. That's awesome. In a week, we have had 260 listeners. 
I just want to thank y'all. I know that Coach and I both appreciate everything that y'all do. We started that uh, Gmail account so that we can get some very brutal, some very honest feedback. Please, if you do email us, be constructive and precise in your emails. Shit, I'll take the trolls. I don't care. Troll us. Yeah, if you want to troll us, I mean, we'll make you famous. Just interact. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though. In retrospect, you know, we have done, we do these episodes uh, approximately about two weeks before you actually get to hear them. So we do one on a on a Friday or a Sunday, and then we release the one we did the week before on the Tuesday. So by the time you hear this, you know, it's it's about two weeks old for us. In retrospect, we should not have done a case about a plane crash <laughs> three days before I, I took a plane to Las Vegas. Mrs. Arlo would agree with you. I was... <laughs> we, we released that episode right before... The day before. The day before I flew out for Las Vegas. Well, that the, did not help my anxiety, my flight anxiety at all. The funny thing is, when when that case... We decided to research that case. It was less than six hours before Mrs. Arlo got on a flight to Indiana. Yeah. And the first sentence of her, I was like, look, look this up and just tell me what it's about. And she goes, hell no. You look it up. The first sentence says the flight blew up mid-route. Anytime on my flight, any bump, I was like, oh, that's it. We're going down. So yeah, we we're gonna have to plan on uh, certain topics a little bit better. Than, yeah, we are than that one, but we do hope you enjoyed that episode. But um, I know I enjoyed, <laughs> I know I enjoyed recording it a little bit too, more than most, a little bit too much. I did post on Twitter a fun little game for that episode was to figure out which one of us had too too many Dale's parallels, and uh, if you didn't figure it out, that would be the coach. Yes. <laughs> The funny thing is, he was very coherent and thoughtful in his responses, but did not remember I, the entire podcast. I don't, I don't remember the podcast at all. I had went to lunch with some friends. I had a few beers beforehand, and then I had four. I had more than a few. He beers. had anywhere from four to twelve Dale's pills. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. <laughs> I know we didn't start out the episode this way, and we usually do, but I would like to thank Kylie. She did a great job with the Jekyll Brewing Pony Ride Pale Ale. And again, we are not sponsored by these people, but I'm going to tell you something. Go to your local liquor store, microbrewery, foundry, whatever the hell you buy your beer at, and ask for Bearded Iris's Homestyle IPA. Yes. It's, it is our new favorite. It is. And it comes in pint cans, so it's a little bit more expensive. And it comes in a four-pack. But I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. And I'm going to go on a limb and say that this Jekyll Brewing Pony Ride Pell Ale, I know it's, Coach is not going to agree with me. I don't know. It's, but it's it is good. a lot lighter with the same taste mm. as Sweetwater 420. You know I love that Sweetwater 420. I know you do. I know you're not going to go get Sweetwater. But I'm telling y'all, if y'all like that taste, but you don't like that bitter and heavy feel, I, Jekyll's Pony Ride is your pale ale. I, can't, I, I don't see how on earth you're describing 
Sweet heavy water, and bitter. Four, Sweetwater 420 <laughs> Extra Pale Ale as heavy. It is not heavy. It is delicious. But Jekyll Pony Ride is, is right up there with them. So. I will say that Jekyll has a Oktoberfest that I could not procure for this episode, but I will be procuring it in the near future. Please stay tuned to us. We are we have some things in the works that will help us out. Um will help you out in contributing to the podcast, contributing to the beer fund. Again, we are just two lowly teachers who enjoy a good beer, who enjoy talking shit to each other and <laughs> that we do. Discussing some weird ass cases. Well, I got an exciting note. Um I've gotten a lot of suggestions about uh, the fact that people like mysteries without death, which is extremely hard. Extremely hard. It to is find. extremely hard because I spent about an hour and a half today looking just in Georgia at mysteries without death. I will say this: I think that the school system that you work at and the school system that I work at, our fall breaks coincide along with uh, Mini Me's. Uh, school system that he is in, employed by. So I think a mystery that we will try to tackle in the near future and actually give you some live pictures from us this time instead of stock photos will be the Georgia Guidestones. But you'll have to yeah, stay That is stay definitely thing. a mystery and that definitely doesn't have any depth. But I, for next week, have found a very good one from Australia. That you'll have to tune in to find out what that's oh, all about. Oh, yes. Coach was explaining that to me earlier today, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to chase that rabbit and it's beat crazy. it. It's crazy. It is, yeah. It's crazy. From what? just the, the short five minutes he explained it to me, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just crazy. So, next week, no death. I will say this. Uh, by the time you listen to this episode, you will have listened to episode seven. Blair Adams. Blair Adams, and we failed you, and I do apologize. We did not give you the final total on the Fuckter scale. We did not. No, we did not. We didn't have any today. I don't really No, we really any. didn't. Well, I mean, ghost stories, there's a yeah, what the fuck at I every mean, ghost story. I would put today's episode. I would put today's episode about seven or eight. I'm going to put it's it at two. Low. I don't even think we said any. Um,. We're, we're, well, anytime we're, you bring up ghosts and weird shit, that's a what we're, the fuck. We're not even going with our own damn format. I know. <laughs> but going back to episode seven, which will be Blair Adams. Oh, God, that's just... There's a lot of what the fuck's in there. And he come oh, in God, at Blair 18. Adams. 18, what the fuck. That seems low. Yeah. But, man. And hopefully our listeners call us out on that. I know that by the time you listen to this episode, that episode will have been out for seven days. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how we're doing the format. But so if if you do happen to comment or have a concern about anything that we do or say on a particular show, just know it's going to be two shows later that we address it. Yeah. So if you have... And it's a, not that we're trying to put you off or anything yeah. like that. It's just this works better for us in case... We we built kind of a buffer in in case we yeah, need a I week mean, off. I, I or, do travel a lot with jujitsu, so we had to record on certain days. It just it just works better for editing and all that to to do them quite some time in advance. So if you do have a question, concern, or you just a criticism about a certain episode, we will address it. 
but it will be the episode after the next episode. Two episodes later. Yes. So please understand, we do appreciate all criticism, constructive, and trolling. <laughs> um, I would like to thank Kylie for her lovely recommendation of the Jekyll Brewing Pony Ride. Funny thing, I did not have to fight Math Mouth Judy <laughs> for the Pony Ride. But yeah. I will tell you that Math Mouth Judy, after I bought the Homestyle IPA for the Blair Adams case, Kylie did tell me this week that Meth Mouth Judy spit on the next customer that come in and tried to buy beer. Who does that? It's crazy. Okay. I know. Uh, Meth Mouth Judy, if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, which I'm pretty sure you're not, but if you know Meth Mouth Judy, please tell her that we don't appreciate her spitting on people. I mean, we're just trying to walk in to Kylie's Corner and buy some beer. That's all we're trying to do. And Kylie's very accommodating, even though I did call her out on the fact that she couldn't get a South Dakota beer. But I do love Kylie. She is a great addition to our Mysterious Brews Absolutely. family. We do appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So with that said, Coach, you got anything else? No, I'm good to go, brother. All right. Deuces. <laughs>